0: Rise and shine! It's a great day in the North Woods.
1: This is your host, Alex Quanley, and I'd like to welcome you to the Camp Voyager podcast. In this episode, I interview Dylan Jackson. Dylan is our trip director at Camp Voyager, so he organizes and plans our entire tripping program and manages outfitting. He has spent 10 summers exploring the Boundary Waters area. In his free time, he loves to tinker, design, and make everything from canoe paddles to custom circuitry. I hope you enjoy the show. Dylan, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Alex.
1: You were a camper for how many years? I was a camper for five years, starting in 2011. How'd you find camp, and what made you keep coming back?
0: Well, finding camp is kind of a funny thing. I didn't find camp at all. My mother was... Camp found for... you. Camp found me, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, my mom found camp online, and I was very skeptical at first, but I, she let it left it up to me whether or not I was going to go, and I finally agreed. And what kept me coming back? Well... A lot of it was the people there. I've made some of the best friends I've ever had and still do have at camp. A lot of it was the challenge. And I was constantly being put in situations that I had never experienced before. And I had to work through them, whether that be like, you know, we call it second, uh, second order fun or second degree fun, where like in the moment it kind of is really challenging and not fun, but it's really fun to look back on second um, degree fun or what it's it's um type 2 fun that's what i think brian halverson calls it where it's like you know you're getting rained on it's cold uh, you're you're soaking wet from canoeing and and you know walking through portages and puddles and all that and you're miserable and it it's not fun in the moment but you, when you can kind of look back on it and and really appreciate that experience and what it gave you that is a big thing that that kept me coming back to camp.
1: I remember him talking about that type two fun. That's a good one. Yeah. Whereas type one fun is like the obvious fun. Yeah,
0: like I'm playing a game or I'm you know a sports game. It's it's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need much explanation. I don't think there.
1: Yeah. Were you into wilderness camping or the outdoors before?
0: your mother signed you up for camp to some extent, not in the same ways. I, I, I spent a lot of time outside as a child. My family grew up near a lake that being my parents grew up near a lake. And then we went back to visit like my grandparents, they still lived in that area. So I spent a lot of time in the woods and, you know, on the water, but never anything as organized as the trips we do at camp.
1: One of my favorite camp videos is when you and Steven Grunewald lowered the mast on a homemade sailboat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just remember in that video the look on your guys' faces you were so proud just looking at the mast as it you slowly un- <laughs> uncurled it. You and Steven looking at each other
0: like, yeah. Let down the sail. Yeah, yeah. That um, quickly turned into one of the hardest things I've done. How did you guys um, uh,
1: come up with that? and why?
0: Well, Steve Grunewald and I got up to all sorts of shenanigans. It's like we were both just always having crazy ideas like building sailboats out of canoes while on a trip. And so we decided to to try it. We went out in the woods and we found, you know, downed logs to make like a mast and a boom. And then we had our rain fly as um, as the sail itself. Uh, we ended up using tape from the med kit to, to hold the square sh- sail in a uh, triangular shape. Um, we lashed our two canoes together with more logs that we had found and we just we just spent a, a, I think it was two days putting it together and we figured, we'll spend this extra time putting this boat together and then we'll sail really fast across the, the big lock LaCroix that we had coming up next. Cause we're right on the edge of lock LaCroix and we were, we had to get to the other side and we had a few ways we could do it, but we figured we'll, we'll spend extra time and we'll make the sailboat and we will sail across. <laughs> and then, you know, we were in the, the final like finishing phases of the boat of the sailboat and it rained and it filled with water and we, I suppose we could have bailed it out, but we realized that we weren't far enough along to actually sail usefully. We could sail, just not it was very hard to steer. And we were not far enough along on our on our you know mileage to make it in time on our backup route. So we were out of time and had a sailboat that we couldn't use. <laughs> <laughs> and so we ended up taking a huge bushwhack shortcut through these tiny lakes that didn't have portages didn't have trails and just no one ever went there there was like a decommissioned campsite on one it took all day we got it was dark by the time we got to a campsite and this campsite was a hiking campsite it was four miles into a hiking trail from the lake we needed to get to on one of these tiny little lakes so we got Camp after dark. I was still a camper at this time. <laughs> but I was I was an older camper, so I, I kind of took charge and I, I like made dinner and made sure the tents were getting set up and kind of took care of everything while Steve he was carrying a lot, like a, a very large load on that trip. He, he uh, you know Grumman and he was carrying a pack, and we were doing the bushwhacks, which was not easy terrain, and so it was all of this stuff together after dark we finally go to bed and the next morning we have to wake up early to do a four mile portage on that hiking trail to get to our takeout lake and we were still late (laughs) and i just remember uh, i think it was jim herman waiting for us at the pickup and we asked him how long he had been waiting he's like oh just a just a few hours it's no big deal (laughs) <laughs> so we are a few hours late. We he drives us back to camp. We get in the mess hall. We're very nasty, dirty, like just full right off the trail. Uh, campers, we we get in the mess hall. Everyone just immediately starts applauding us. There's a ta- table with you know chicken wings set aside for us. We eat dinner. We tell a story. You know, with even more detail than I've just told it. With you know the pointing at the maps in the mess hall and everyone just minds blown, like you did that in a day.
1: Because of the bushwhack.
0: Oh, we I call it the shortcut.
1: The shortcut.
0: Uh, it wasn't shortcuts are rarely, rarely actually shortcuts.
1: Agreed. <laughs> Type two fun though, it's sure fun to look back.
0: Oh yeah, that's a prime example. One of my top examples. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Over the years, I've heard you mention Stephen's name as a counselor a lot. What about Stephen made him such a favorite of campers? Because I've heard you and several campers reference Stephen, and he was a he was a camper for. Do you know how many years? Uh, and then not he was a not
0: exactly. He was a camper right up until he could be on staff, and. and... He started before me, so I want to say it was. Uh, he had a similar amount of years as a as a camper, maybe a little bit more than me. So he's a little bit older than me, and we had a little bit of overlap there. And then we also worked on staff together, of course. What made him a camper favorite? I mean, like personally, he was a very good friend to me. He was the first friend I ever made at camp, so that's kind of a big big part of like my relationship with him. For campers, though, he well, it's kind of like what i was talking about earlier he comes up with crazy ideas he does fun things you know he he is very much like an outside the box thinker he 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 makes things fun he makes you know menial tasks into games and he he's chaotic and goofy and sometimes he causes like a little bit of trouble but he's always you know good (laughs) in he's good-hearted and good-spirited so it's never like malicious or anything too like crazy it's just him like oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little too too much shenanigans there but it's always fun he's always making things fun He's see he, you know he listens to people and he he's a friend to all <laughs> chaotic goofy guy I don't know what else to say
1: I've definitely heard some interesting stories of him over the years and I was on staff with him for I think I was with him for two years um, my first two years at camp in 2016 and 17 I think he was still a counselor then um, but what other uh, trail craft have you and Steven or you come up with over the years because I know that sailboat doesn't isn't the only thing <laughs> you guys have gotten into
0: let's see well it, crafting is somewhat limited out there like so occasionally I'll try and do fire bows for or fire starting which are something easily disassembled but like permanent structures we don't want to leave those out in the boundary waters or in nature so you know want to leave it for others but in camp yes there have been times when we'd have to take down birch trees and it was the right time of year for harvesting the bark and so that was a common craft around that time i don't remember exactly which year it was but i remember we made a few things ned yonkers was very skilled with that i made Kind of a large bag for my sister. I I brought that home after camp ended. This past year, I did some leather working in the craft shop. I'm always a fan of doing a paddle decoration as well. That that that's always fun. I I did one when I was on the kitchen crew and I made it kind of like an emblem, like a coat of arms almost, but for the the kitchen crew. And so instead of a shield, it was a plate. And we've got these, you know, the classic yellow dinner plates. Then there was a broom and a mop crossing over instead of like swords (laughs) and it had a big K and a little, a little painted like a ribbon that said, um, clean thy kingdom in Latin. In Latin. Yeah. uh, It was, I don't remember the exact words, but it it translates to clean thy kingdom, which I just thought was a fun little, I don't know, detail. (laughs) (laughs) Did you win the paddle decoration contest? I did. I did. I'm on two plaques, and that is one of them.
1: <laughs> Prior to coming to camp, did you like to tinker and build, or is that something you discovered or cultivated at camp itself? Because you, you said you're a leather worker. I think you've dabbled in blacksmithing.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, oh, this is something to get me started on, I guess. Um, I just... As long as I can remember, I've tinkered with things, whether it be ripping apart the TV remotes and not being as good at putting them back together to the dismay of my parents. Um, Or, you know, just just ripping apart electronics, figuring out how things work. Um, That was like a huge part of my childhood. I've always been into Legos and stuff. And then um, once I became or, you know, got access to more like tools and things, I started making stuff. And so I could make things out of the things I've torn apart and, you know, or put them back together in different ways. But then I also started moving into, you know, just making my own sort of things. And so I've just collected all of these skills from, you know, all sorts of different experiences like leatherworking. I just taught myself and watched videos and I've just slowly collected the tools and gotten better. Like I made wallets after camp for, well, you and and a couple <laughs> other of the guys, other, other of the guys, and, I've been making a lot of wallets and coming up with my own designs there I do I do do blacksmithing on occasion just because of my location on campus I have not been able to do that lately, because, you know, heating steel red hot and and hammering it all day is not something I'd like <laughs> to subject my neighbors to. Um, nor do I have necessarily a, a good place to do that and when i'm able but. Yeah, and then there's just all sorts of other things, like I, I design electronics, like printed circuit boards and circuits and things like that. I do 3D printing and 3D modeling to go along with that. I mean, the <laughs> the list goes on. I, I, I'm i obviously better in some things than others, but I yes, tinkering and making, that is both before camp and I think I've got a bit of an artistic touch from camp and a place to practice that is a lot of what I do. Yeah. I, so before and after I'd say (laughs) before and during. Cause you're
1: like the kind of guy when I got when it for like a knot, for example, in a rope, you know, that's been underwater for 15 years and (laughs) you just can't get the knot out and it's dried and it's hard. You're like the kind of guy I just hand it to and say, hey, Dylan, can you get this? And you're like, let me see what I can do. You disappear <laughs> and then you come back with the knot out. I'm like, you know, I tried with players and vice grips and screwdrivers and I can't do it. And I just hand it to you and you kind of just disappear and go do it. What, besides the technical side of things, because you mentioned your, your degree is in electrical engineering.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a single degree in both computer and electrical engineering. I'm focused in computer, but yeah.
1: <laughs> so besides <laughs> kind of besides the technical side, how are you so good at doing those things uh, that no one else can do even if it's as simple as untying a knot in a rope?
0: Well, like I said, I kind of dabble in a lot of things and I like to think I'm creative. So I'm not afraid to take skills from, you know, different areas and bring them in to help in a situation like where, where it might not be thought of. I could try to come up with like an example, but I, how I just- How do
1: you untie those knots?
0: How do I, uh, is, are you thinking of a specific example? Is this something- I, I, I feel I like this has a specific happened. Knot. I, like, I'm like. i sure I just go, I don't know, but knots, <laughs> a lot of it is just like, you need to sit down and you need to pick it apart. And But I mean, that's a very, that's a pretty specific example.
1: I just grab a plier, two pliers, and I just think I, if I Whoa. pull in these two spots, I'll get it out. And then I get frustrated and I throw Maybe it to
0: you. Sometimes you have to think backwards because some knots break differently. You have to, some knots you have to push together to take apart. And when you're like, ah, oh, I gotta rip it apart with the pliers, it just kind of tightens it, even though it's like counterintuitive. And I don't know, so you just gotta, yeah, fiddle with it. And how familiar with knots are you, too? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we have that knot training every. Every spring for camp. Yeah, but I know those. You know, you gotta
0: you gotta you gotta tie them. You gotta use that diagram. (laughs) How often you tie knots?
1: (laughs) Not often outside of camp, but but I sure do it a lot in the summer. Oh, there you go. Yeah, like breaking the breaking the back of the knot. Right? Is that what they call it?
0: Yeah, like with the um with the bowline or the bowline. I guess the sheet bend as well because it's technically the same knot. You just kind of. You bend the knot in half before you pull anything and it just breaks it and slides it just slides apart. Yeah. Whereas if you I mean this is like the tensioning sides. I mean the pollen is a is a very strong knot. It'll the rope will break before the knot itself breaks in most circumstances. If
1: it's made correctly.
0: Yeah. But then you can just very easily like bend it in half and it'll come apart like nothing. So I don't know. That's a cool knot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. That's it's an impressive knot. In addition to being camp's designated tinkerer, Mm, fixer man. I like it. You recently took on a new role of being trip director. Before that, you were a camper and a counselor. So you've spent well over probably 100, maybe close to 200 days in the Boundary Waters.
0: I had it all worked out at one point. I've forgotten.
1: Any guesses on what it is?
0: I think my first year or two, I was a four-weaker. And then after that, I was eight weeks. So that's, we could, if we want to lowball it, we could do two years of four weeks. So that's eight weeks total. And then three years of eight weeks, 32 weeks. And that's just as a camper. And so then 12 weeks-ish times, what, five now? So 50, 60 plus... Thirty, and that's just at camp oh my goodness there <laughs> this I've spent a lot of time in the north woods <laughs> and
1: one memory I have of you is you showed me your trail sack which is all your personal gear that you take yeah on trips and it was like unfathomably tiny and <laughs> like half the size or less of any maybe like a quarter of the size or less of anyone else's it was like the size of a big it basketball was,
0: it was almost detrimental because it didn't fit in the packs right it was so small i remember like i remember bill bill uh bergman looking at it and i was like look at how small i, I got my my trail sack and bill was just like that's dreadful that's <laughs> why why <laughs> what <laughs> He was not impressed. He <laughs> was just like, why would you do that? But yeah, no, I I suppose I packed pretty small.
1: How did you pack? So so normally people's dry sacks are like long and tubular. Yeah. And we put two in per pack. So it's kind of like a twin turbo pack, jet pack looking thing, I like to say. But yours was like <laughs> a basketball. How did you so do that
0: i use a 20 liter dry bag and it's one of these seal line ones that's kind of like a heavy duty rubbery sort of plastic material i don't like the thin fabric ones because they get little pinholes in them and then you get little tiny wet spots on your underwear when you're at the campsite um (laughs) (laughs) it's uncomfortable so i like the solid like rubber ones and it's not the the seal line aren't too thick either and then what you want to do is get your sleeping bag and you want to stuff it down in the bottom with no no compression bag or anything. And that way it'll kind of fill up the space the, of the bottom. Then I start piling in my necessities. Like if I'm going to bring a thermarest, I'll, I'll put that at the bottom with my my sleeping bag, kind of fill in the space, start throwing in socks, underwear, shirts or shirt usually. And then I usually do like a thin uh, like wool. I like wool a lot. If you want long underwear, pack's really small. We'll we'll keep you warm when it's wet and it's very renewable. So I like it a lot. Um, Pack all that stuff in and you you just want to fill in the spaces with all your clothing and stuff and all the mushy stuff. And you want to make it just, you want to fill up vertically as even as possible. So you don't want like empty Tetris, you know, empty spots. Like you pretend you're playing Tetris. You want to, you know, do the Tetris, do layer by layer. Don't leave any empty spots. Pack it all in tight. And then if you want to bring things like books, or if you want to keep your toothbrush and toothpaste in your dry sack, you want to put all the hard, like anything like that, that's not going to mush on top because you've created a flat surface. And then you can kind of do a little more, you know, flat. And that also, I feel like helps with sealing it. Because if you get a shirt wound up when you're trying to roll your dry bag shut it'll it'll break the seal so you want it, it, like your your book isn't the cover is not going to get like smushed and wound up into this thing you're rolling up so that is why i like to have hard stuff on the top as well roll it up a little bit kneel on it sit on it whatever get as much air out as you can and then roll it up as tight as you can clip it and hopefully it should be a little basketball or if it's a little colder out it'll be a little taller if it's, you know, really not like a really warm part of the year, you can forego the long underwear and it'll be a little smaller, all that sort of stuff. If you don't want to bring books or anything like that. And then I also find it helps to have just like a small like ditty bag where you can keep odds and ends that they could get wet. But, you know, you want to keep them generally dry. Those ones I really like the fabric dry bags for because it's, you know, it's like toothbrush, toothpaste, headlamp, like a, a little speck of water is not going to do anything to that stuff. And... So I use a 20-liter dry bag. You could go up to like 30. I, I just go crazy because I <laughs> I like to go overboard with the small bag thing.
1: Do you roll your clothes or are they is everything kind of loose? Stuff it. Stuffed. It's
0: just stuffed. You want to just fill in spaces. You want to use as much space as possible. You could roll stuff, then like it kind of stacks in a way. Yeah. And that leaves empty space, which I mean, clothing, it's gonna fill up some of that, but I just like to stuff it.
1: Where do you think most people go wrong when you see these huge dry bags or you're with campers on a trip and they just they have so much stuff or it just seems like, okay, you have the packing list and you've got the stuff on the packing list and not much more. Why does your dry bag seem so giant?
0: There are a few things. Some of it can be helped. Some of it cannot. The higher quality, the things like your sleeping bag are the smaller they're going to pack. That's just kind of a fact. But not everyone wants to spend hundreds of dollars on a sleeping bag. So their sleeping bag might just be bigger, which isn't usually an issue. But they come with compression sacks um, with buckles and straps. And you can cinch it down really small, but then you can't get that in in your dry bag because those buckles catch as you're trying to slide it in. So just don't don't use a compression sack with your sleeping bag unless it's like a waterproof compression sack and you're just doing it separately from your dry bag because you will never get those compression sacks in your dry bag well. They're j- it's, it's a, there's empty space. It's mm-hmm. clunky. It's bad. You can use those if you want, but they're a separate thing from your dry bag. Another thing, no backpack straps on your dry bag. <laughs> <laughs> they go into the personal. The personal has backpack straps. The The straps just get in the way. You're never going to be carrying just your stuff just don't get a dry bag that has black backpack straps. It's not worth it.
1: Because we stuff our dry sacks into these Duluth packs.
0: Yeah, they're big. The big canvas packs that fit two people's personal gear. Mm -hmm. And then one person carries two person's things, which leaves space for other people to carry stuff like food and canoes. Um, And uh, what
1: what, uh, rated sleeping bag do you have? Because we're talking about summer camping.
0: Yeah. I... I have a couple I've done some winter camping, the one I use at camp, the relevant one, I suppose, I believe goes, it's it's rated uh, to about 40 degrees. And I think it's like a comfort rating at like, maybe a little higher than that. But yeah, in that in that kind of range, because it's I mean, it's not going to get to freezing temperatures in the summer, it's just not going to happen. So you don't need anything like that's going to, you know, keep you down to warm down to freezing temperatures. So I've had good luck with like a 40 degree sleeping bag in the in the summer.
1: In general, do you think those temperature ratings that they give sleeping bags are accurate?
0: Yes. So there's the one that they give you, which is the survival rating, where it's like, I mean, you'll live through the night down to this (laughs) temperature. But then they have a second rating, which is the comfort rating, which is usually higher than the survival rating, which is the one that's going to be on the packaging. So, like, so, like, if it gets down toward forty in at night, it'll it might get a little chilly, but you'll live. And I know you mean you're not going to be like shivering all night. And that's um,
1: that's with some clothes on. That's not just like in your boxers. Right.
0: But I think they're generally accurate. I think you should add a few degrees if you want to be like cozy warm. But I mean, it's also camping, like what we we're talking about earlier. Type two fun. Sometimes you're going to be a little uncomfortable. And sometimes that might mean you're overheating at night or you're a little chilly at night.
1: Yeah. I've, I've generally seen that 40 or 50 is fine for summer camping in the boundary waters. And uh, but the temperature rating makes a big difference on the size. Like a, a 40 degree bag is much bigger than like a 50 or a 55 degree bag. I remember Ned Yonkers had a 50 degree bag and that thing got like, I swear the size of like a softball. I mean, that Mm -hmm. thing was just like paper thin and he had to layer up to sleep at night but he sure packs small
0: yeah i guess i just haven't i've been through two sleeping bags in my camp career one of them was just giant and i was constantly overheating but i've moved to my current one which i mean it's pretty thin it packs down oh yeah here it is 40 degrees fahrenheit it's called an aspen minimalist by marmot hmm and that has done me so well. It packs down pretty small. It's synthetic, so it, it won't get like matted down like, well, like a down sleeping bag if you were to get like a goose down. Those are really nice. They pack really small. But if they get wet, they don't have any like insulation rating. I'm pretty sure because it's the fluff, they get matted down. So yeah, just a 40 degree synthetic is what I use generally.
1: So the sleeping bag makes a huge difference on the size
0: of your yeah that's by far it should be the biggest thing you're packing some people's sleeping pads like a like insulating ground pads get pretty big i would not recommend getting a giant one for the longest time i never even used a ground like insulating pad or anything like a thermarest or anything like that they're very nice though if you think your trip's going to be rainy sometimes the bottom of a tent is not one you know the integrity is not all there um and rain comes in So having a little cushion to keep you off the ground in that case is very nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you still pack that small or you you mentioned you added the thermo rest or your inflatable pad? Have you added any other luxury items over the years?
0: Let's see. Sometimes I'll bring a beach ball with a, it's got like a little light up thing. So if we want to go swimming or something and it's or like, you know, just bounce a beach ball around the campsite, it lights up at night. So it looks really cool. And then um,
1: it's inflatable.
0: And it's inflatable. So it packs super small. So I mean, I like to do things like that, where it's like the fun value for the size is, you know, it's a good ratio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so efficient.
0: Yeah, efficient fun.
1: You're also an efficient packer. Like, for example, at uh, a campsite in the Boundary Waters, you get up in the morning and it's a day you want to put on some miles and you're usually packed up and ready to go by the time kids are still waking up. <laughs> <laughs> what is your routine? Uh, say you want to put on a lot of miles in a day. So you're you're kind of in a hurry. Uh, what is your routine once you wake up in the tent at a campsite to efficiently pack and get the canoes on the water for the day.
0: Well, that's uh you've asked the wrong question. It's not once you wake up. The the key is is before you go to bed.
1: Okay. Um, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if my wet clothes are dry, I take them into my tent with me so I can change in my tent. If they're wet, I'll leave them on the line and I'll pretty much go straight to the line in the morning.
1: The wet clothes are what you wear during the day. Yeah, and the yeah, dry so... clothes are what you put on At night to hang around the campsite.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's, that's another thing with packing is some people bring like 10 pairs of underwear for their dry clothes (laughs) for like a five day trip. And it's like, you know, you bring one or two pairs of underwear. Like you, you, this is not, it's camping. Like you don't, you don't change your dry clothes. Like you change between your dry clothes, which are clean with quotes after Mm -hmm. a while and your wet clothes, which are like actually nasty. And so you don't need a ton of of dry, clean, you know, like clothes. You just you just keep those clean. So don't bring duplicates because that just takes up a ton of space, like one or two pairs of underwear, one or two pairs of socks for a five day trip. And then just like one of every other article like pants and and shirt. You don't need duplicates of pants and stuff on the trail. I feel like that kind of went back. It got a little sidetracked. Uh, We were talking about morning routine, right? Yeah. And how it's, yeah, it's a nighttime routine.
1: <laughs> get, <laughs> Preparations. Get the campsite,
0: yeah, get the campsite cleaned up before you go to bed. Make sure you don't have pots and pans and stuff lying around. Get all your food put away. Get your food pack taken care of. Get your personal gear in order before you go to bed. So like I was saying, if my dry clothes or my wet clothes, my clothes, sorry, are if they've dried on the line, I will take them in my tent and keep them keep them dry so they're comfortable to put on in the morning, which helps me go quickly because a lot of campers, they just leave their stuff everywhere and it gets rained on and it doesn't dry because it's in a ball on the ground and, you know, you've been waiting all day through mud and beaver poo and and lakes in these socks, like, rinse them out, squeeze them out and hang them up and they'll dry and they'll be comfortable to put on the next day instead of you groggily waking up and picking these balled up socks off the ground that are soaking wet and covered in mud and just trying to put this cold thing on your foot like that's you don't want to start your day if that's how you're starting it so like setting up the night before so it's a comfortable transition into waking up is so helpful um it's huge Mm -hmm. and if you want to try and put on some miles or something like that you're saying um consider getting up early <laughs> and then you'll have more time to pack up and that's another thing like if i'm going to try and do a, a very early morning i'll talk to my crew the day before so it's not like get up guys it's surprise morning. Like, surprise <laughs> so yeah i pre preparation or preparation so you, you
1: keep a clean campsite ahead of time and organized and then in the morning you wake up and do you get out of your tent right away or do you oh
0: yeah um so I'll I'll get up I'll change into my my wet clothes if I have them I'll try to get a fire going if we need it I might have a cup of coffee before I even think about waking up other people getting things started that you are going to have to do but no one else is like cooking usually a camper is not going to cook breakfast or get breakfast ready so you know you can you can get all that stuff ready while they are still groggy you know I take down my tent I just get all of my stuff ready to go. And then I worry about getting other people's stuff ready. Because if I'm like juggling my things and camper's things, it gets a lot more difficult. So I, I you know, prepare the night before, get up, get my stuff good to go, and then drink coffee, make breakfast, start getting people awake. And that's kind of what a good day good morning looks like for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not always that nice but
1: yeah I like to I get up I first thing I do is I unscrew my thermo my inflatable pad it's not a thermo but it's a static climate v2 or something Any inflatable pad let the air out and I pack up my you know headlamp my book Um, I immediately change into my clothes for the day. So then I pack up my dry clothes or my pajamas. I brush my teeth. I pack that away. And then I pack my sleeping bag and stuff it into my dry bag, stuff my inflatable pad. And then I leave the tent and I take down my tent immediately. So I'm doing it all at once. I'm just literally waking up, packing up, getting, getting out of my tent, changing into my shoes for the day. Taking my tent down. And so I'm just completely packed up by the time I even walk over to even arouse campers or even start a fire. And then that way now I can spend the next hour or whatever focusing on getting the campers packed up or cooking breakfast. And then so literally after they're packed up and after we have breakfast, my stuff is like still already done. I'm I'm just done. All I got to do is. Uh, maybe throw in another camper's gear into my bag and help pack up the pots and pans and the u- utility pack and I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah, I think, <laughs> well, you've, I mean, definitely influenced me there in some aspects because <laughs> if, if you're, I've, I don't know, it, like your mornings, I, I, like I would get up and stuff, but you, you just get a fire going and you silently are drinking your coffee and like, it's just <laughs> watching. All so... And, you're, yeah, you're just, like, there, you know, relaxing at the fire or the calm before the storm. And I'm <laughs> just there, like, how is he so, like, ready?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I remember John. <laughs> I remember John one day. We were sharing the tent on a trip. And he's, like, you're already packed up before I've even, like, waken, woken up. I'm, like, I just have this routine down. And, like, I don't waste motions and i i don't like leave the tent come back to the tent leave come back leave then i leave the mm-hmm. tent and i pack it up and it's done
0: yeah so. that's a good thing to get a handle on because i mean if you're just like oh gotta go you like bring your dry bag out of the tent to go grab something that's at the fire circle or the, the fire then you come back to the tent and throw something else in and then you're like, going back and forth and then well, it's like oh i could have just had the tent and then when i was over at the fire i could have packed the tent too and then also had my <laughs> So yeah, Yeah. just, and it does, I know what you're talking about, but it takes practice.
1: (laughs) And the night before does make a big difference. You can't have your stuff sprawled out everywhere. And like, if we used a hammock, you know, that evening, I packed that up the night before I'm not going to let it, you don't need it out overnight. So I just, I pack it up overnight or, or, or like anything I can pack the night before I do. And, and then, yeah, you just can kind of sit by the fire and have coffee and, watch everyone it's kind Screaming, of chaotic but <laughs> yeah like all right guys we got some miles to put on today uh let's go but i like to hop in and help them too and and show them how it's done but oh definitely how about portaging have you learned any tricks over the years to how to get over portages because there are some sometimes you're at a portage and you're you're just like you feel like you got to make four trips to get a pack and then a canoe and then a fishing rods and then water bottles yeah but then there are other trips where you just you melt over portages like butter like melted butter and you're just like you can go over portages almost as fast as you can canoe that same distance
0: yes i know what you're talking about and i don't know it's becoming a bit more of a hot take but when i was i was a camper there was no such thing as four portages. It's you you did the portage once and you yeah. did it well. And maybe some of my counselors were not the nicest about that and maybe I carried some things that were too heavy for me, but I mean doing the portages is is the best way to gain experience doing portages in the future. Because like new campers, they they are doing something they've never done before, carrying a pack way bigger than they've probably ever carried or are used to, and it it sometimes it hurts. <laughs> so part of it is just doing it, and and you kind of get used to the the struggle of foraging, and you get more efficient, and you kind of know what things you can take and who can take what, and so practice makes perfect. That that's that's that side of it is is getting better at it. I do. It kind of just takes doing it. (laughs) But as a leader on the trips, you also want to kind of manage your portage situation, make it as efficient as possible, and make sure people are safe with the things they're carrying. Because a eight year old is not going to carry a seventy pound aluminum canoe. It's just not going to happen. So if (laughs) that's like an extreme example, but you, what I do at least before before my trip even starts before anyone carries anything is I get everyone together and I get all the gear together, everything that needs to be carried. And I assign people places in boats and I assign packs and carried items to people. And I try to match the things people are carrying up with the boat they're in and all that sort of stuff. So maybe there's someone who's going to carry the food pack and they are in the canoe with the food pack. And then the person who is on the other side of their that same canoe is going to carry the canoe. Um, that way, they can get to the portage. They don't have to wait for any of the other boats on the trip. They can just pick up their stuff and they can go. And if you've made it, or if you've organized it correctly, everyone's going to be able to get everything they're carrying, or yeah, everything they're carrying, onto the- their bodies themselves, or their boatmate is going to be able to help them. And so you can be confident that everyone's going to be safe. And you can be efficient. <laughs> so it's experience, and I guess, experience. I, that's just from my experience, kind of knowing what I'm doing over those years.
1: I see a lot of groups with tackle boxes and rods and reels and water bottles and just like a lot of these small loose yes. items.
0: Not allowed. No loose items allowed. That's not to say you can't bring them because I love fishing on my trips and I obviously you need water, but bef- while you're on the water, Either you have like everything packed away or you're using it. You don't want to be sitting in your boats with water bottles everywhere because then you get to the portage and you don't have enough hands for all of these little things. So drink your water, put it in a pack, do the portage, drink your water. If you need to get your water bottle on a portage, a lot of times I like to keep a carabiner. I'll drink out of my water bottle. I have on most of my water bottles a little bit of paracord so it doesn't break the bottle. And then I just clip it to my life jacket and then I have it at all times and it doesn't require a hand. So carabiners are nice for things like fishing rods. Those should be either in use on the water and then stowed before the portage or they should just remain stowed and you should use it at a campsite or but you kind of need some designated time to fish. It's not something you're going to be doing while you're doing a bunch of portages. You should either be on like a big lake or it should be stowed. Or at a campsite. Uh, and a lot of times we'll just use paracord or Velcro to keep the rod on the gunnels of the boat, the canoe. And then we'll keep the reels in the util or another pack like that. So you don't need hands for it and they're not flopping everywhere when you're portaging the canoe. And then same thing with the tackle boxes, just put them in a pack. You don't need them on the water. You don't need them on the portage. Well, if you do need them on the water, you can just get it out of the pack. So Short answer is keep everything stowed Mm -hmm. in your hands and arms inside the vehicle. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Fishing equipment is definitely the big one. And like you said, the, I think the best thing to do with that is to, like you said, designate times where you're going to fish, you're either going to fish or you're going to have it stowed and not really this in between. Like I tell the campers, you can fish in the morning. You can fish when we stop for lunch. And you can fish when we stop at night versus five minutes every half hour, you know, let's stop and cast, let's stop and cast. And then you're portaging that loose stuff all the time. So you kind of chunk time just to fish unless unless it's a day where you're like, doesn't matter how far we cover, we're going to fish the good spots on the way. And and you try to line those days up with the days that you don't have any portages like from lower basswood falls to on the crooked river or basswood river whatever you want to call it up to the border crooked lake there's no portages so you're like okay we'll have our rods out if we find a good spot we'll stop and fish yeah. versus like trying to make it from <laughs> knife lake to <laughs> thomas and fraser lake you know you got 13 puddle jumps and that's not a good time to have your rods out
0: it's it's fishing or portaging no no both you don't get yeah. both
1: yeah yeah Lastly, how about cooking efficiently? How do you minimize the mess on the trail? What what sort of food do you pack or meals do you plan and when you're cooking, how do you minimize your pots and pans cuz I've seen trips take anything from just one large pot to a small, medium, large and a skillet and We like to minimize the weight on trips as much as possible. So do you have any tips for packing or cooking efficiently?
0: Common trend here, preparation. Um, (laughs) When you're packing your food pack, like uh, we usually start with a menu. We fill out what we're going to have. Then that leads us to what we need. And then we can pack the meals and bring them on the trail. And so when I'm packing, I like to just keep all of the food separated by meal. As opposed to like I I don't know what other organization I use, but I I get just a bag and everything I need for that meal goes in that bag, so I can just reach in the food pack and um, know exactly what I'm getting and I should clarify. We have these canvas bags that are colored red blue green black, Um, and I like to use those to color code blue for breakfast green for lunch black for dinner and red for miscellaneous items. Then into each of those bags, I separate the meals by each meal in their own separate plastic bags. And then I know I can just grab one bag and it's a meal and I can prep it. And I know how to prep it because I did my menu. And then since everyone has a plastic bag, every meal has a trash bag. And then you can just put all your trash in that, tie it up and put it in the bottom of the food bag. Easy. No mess. No stink. It's it's good. It's, it's just good to, to prepare and stay organized in your food pack. And then with things like pots and pans, a lot of times I'll bring a just two pots with lids. Um, I'll, I'll generally always bring a large pot or a medium pot because you can feed most trips with just a large or a medium, whether it be like beans and rice or uh, noodle dishes, like, like uh, we have pesto and we do Alfredo or like ramen even. You know it's just it takes a big pot and it's a big thing of food and so those kinds of meals are really nice because you just you just need one pot and then if you want to add things you can use the lid as a pan so you can fry onions veggies and that cuts down you can just still use the lid as the lid for the pot and it all kind of goes and cleans itself and then clean up like you're not in a kitchen so you don't have a sink so just stay you know and you don't have endless pots and pans so just clean what you have keep everything in order and Yeah, organization. That's a lot of it. (laughs) Staying organized, just in general. uh, It'll help you out a lot.
1: Organized and prepared. Oh, yeah. Well, Dylan, thanks for being on the show.
0: Well, thanks Um, for having me, Alex.
1: And we'll, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Oh, yeah, anytime. Thanks for listening.
1: Be sure to visit the camp website campvoyager.com to learn more about summer programming, to read blog posts, and to order some gear. Follow camp on Instagram at camp underscore voyager. We'll see you next time on the trail.